0: Welcome to our KPMG Financial Reporting podcast series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments on ESG reporting. We thank you for joining today. I'd like to welcome everybody back to our ESG reporting update. It's been a few months since we did one. We took a little break, but there's been so much happening. We want to really give you the pick of the highlights. My name is Julie Santoro. I lead our ESG activities in our Department of Professional Practice. And once again, I'm joined by my colleagues, Anita Chan and Bryce Earhart. So what's been happening then? Well, we're gonna start with California. And before we get into some specific questions, let's just take a short reminder of what's happening there. We have got three climate laws from California. The first two of them, if you are a U.S. company doing business in California and you meet a certain revenue threshold. If you're over a billion dollars in revenue, then the Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act applies, or SB253. That is reporting on your GHG emissions, scopes one, two, and three, with assurance over scopes one and two for now, effective in 2026, 2025 data. That's number one. Number two, if your revenue is over 500 million, then the Climate-Related Financial Risk Act applies, SB 261. And that's the disclosure of climate-related financial risk and measures you've adopted to reduce and adapt to such risks. That's effective on or before January 1, 2026, and then reporting every two years. So those are the first two climate laws we have in California. I said if you're a U.S. company, but that is going to pick up your global revenues. So it is not just relevant for U.S. companies. The California Air Resources Board has been tasked with developing and adopting regulations to implement those two laws. And then number three, the Voluntary Carbon Market Disclosures Act, or AB 1305. And that applies if you're operating in California and marketing or selling voluntary carbon offsets within California, or you're purchasing or using voluntary carbon offsets, making claims about the achievement of net zero emissions or other similar claims. So there we have three distinct acts. I'm going to start with the last one first, and I'm going to bring in Anita. So that's carbon offset disclosures. Here, the effective date is January 1, 2024. However, we've been seeing some press that the original intention was to actually be 2025. Anita, please unravel this for us. What does it mean?
1: Julie, certainly, I think there's some confusion in the marketplace around when the effective date is for AB 1305. I think shy of any official legal updates from the government in terms of clarification around the actual effective date. Most companies that we have been seeing are moving ahead and working towards the effective date of January 1st, 2024. We are starting to see some companies putting out their disclosures and most of the approaches have been just leveraging what they currently have in their sustainability reporting and perhaps some of them pulling it together in a short report and making it available on their website with the relevant required information. So that's the
0: carbon offset disclosures. Already in effect, we're starting to see the disclosures. And now tell us, what's the status of the other two laws, the GHG emissions and the the climate risk disclosure? Um, I think we're waiting for the California
1: Air Resources Board, right? Certainly, yes. We are waiting for CARB to help with development of the details for implementation. The, I would say, surprising development that happened recently in early 2024 has been two things. One, in Governor Newsom's recent budgetary proposal that took place early January, There hasn't been any inclusion of budget for CARB to begin their efforts to look into building out the details for the implementation. I think that caught many by surprise, but with that said, certainly the expectation is that funding would be secured um, some way, shape or form. And there's another budgetary round to take place in May of this year that we're all keenly watching to see in terms of what resources might be given to CARB for them to proceed with their planned expected implementation efforts. The other breaking news that recently came out is the Chamber of Commerce, along with a few other organizations, have taken to court a legal case against the state of California as it relates to specifically SB 253 and SB 261. Nothing I've mentioned as it relates to AB 1305, which we discussed earlier that we believe is already in effect. Um, But as it relates to the legal case, right, certainly the um, claims and publications that we've been seeing is focusing around the authority of California to subject uh, businesses to provide their worldwide emissions information and whether or not that becomes a national law as opposed to sort of a state related regulation. So, more to come on that, and we're keenly following it too. With that said, in the interim, given all the other regulations are moving ahead, especially on a global basis in the EU, we are talking to clients and believing that most companies are planning to move ahead with the implementation and without just waiting to see what would happen to either the budget or as it relates to the legal actions.
0: Okay, thanks, Anita. So we're basically saying, yes, there are some maybe hiccups and questions about the status of uh, 253 and 261, but really companies are moving ahead in the meantime with with their planning. So Bryce, let's bring you in now. We have been on the lookout for EFRAG in the EU to begin issuing its implementation guidance to support companies who are implementing the kind of European sustainability reporting standards. What's the latest there?
2: Yeah, I mean, some of our loyal listeners probably recall that on our last episode, we talked about the imminent exposure of implementation guidance around two topics. One is the materiality assessment, and the other is considering uh, one's value chain in the context of the ESRSs. And really, a lot of people have been looking forward to these drafts primarily because the double materiality assessment and the incorporation of the value chain within a, a company's reporting boundary are just such fundamental concepts within ESRS reporting. And it's because of that, that these need to be evaluated and sorted through by preparers earlier in their early in their implementation process, essentially. So what's happened, Julie, is near the end of last year, uh, EFRAG published these drafts. Uh, They've been published for public consultation, and that public consultation is actually wrapped up on the 2nd of February. So uh, this also included a detailed mapping of ESRS data points that companies can use really to to identify what disclosures are potentially material to them. And going forward from here, what we're expecting to see is for eFrag to sort through any comments that they received on those exposures uh, and then to finalize these hopefully by the end of March of this year.
0: Thanks. I know that many of us and many companies are eagerly awaiting for that final guidance on the double materiality and the and the value chain. But that's not the only thing that EFRAG is doing. They're also hard at work developing additional standards. So anything worth sharing there?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. There's a lot on EFRAG's plate. The last time we talked, we went through their work plan. Uh, and that includes additional exposures. And Not surprisingly, they have exposed more than just those implementation drafts that we were talking about. Uh, So actually, in January of this year, they published for public consultation two exposure drafts on sustainability reporting for small and medium sized enterprises. Uh, Those those types of companies are also referred to as SMEs sometimes. Now the consultation period for both of these drafts are going to run through nearly the end of May of this year. And, and let me just give you a quick reminder here of what, uh, how how an SME enterprise kind of fits into the CSRD. Um, so so SMEs that are public interest entities, these are the types of companies that are going to be in scope of the CSRD, beginning with reporting on FY26 data and FY27. So they kind of have a phased in effective date, right? It's not the effective dates of large public interest entities or large companies. They kind of come after that. Now, the key here is that their reporting standards are reduced from those of larger companies, and so what we've been waiting to see is, okay, what does reduced actually mean in the context of the CSRD? It means that, unlike the base ESRSs, reporting on financial opportunities and positive impacts is voluntary. So, Companies will still have to comply with a double materiality assessment. However, they're not going to have to go through it at the level of rigor as it would be expected with the normal ESRs, because financial opportunities and the identification of positive impacts is, is a voluntary decision to be made by the companies. We also know that the topics of pollution, biodiversity and water, for example, are not really present within the draft as is published right now. So when we talk about a reduced standard, that's kind of how we're starting to think about it, is we're scoping out certain types of opportunities and impacts, um, and then maybe not even having to discuss uh, certain topics at all. Now, they've also issued for public comment another set of standards for SMEs. However, this is a set of standards for voluntary reporting by non-listed SMEs. So although the application and use of this standard is completely voluntary, um, since these types of companies are not in scope of the CSRD, the rationale here is that there's essentially an anticipated need for these standards because these smaller companies are going to receive requests for sustainability information from their companies, banks, um, or sorry, their customers, their banks, and then other companies in scope of the CSRD, right? We just talked about how the value chain is incorporated within the reporting boundaries. So there are going to be data asks and ask for additional information from companies inside the value chain, which may not have to do their own CSRD reporting. So their end goal for both of these SME standards is to issue their advice to the European Commission by um, like the end of November, 2024. So hopefully by around that time, we have have final standards for these types of companies.
0: I'm afraid I'm gonna layer on another layer of complexity because in addition to all of that, We've been hearing chatter again about deferrals of some CSRD deadlines, and CSRD is the law that gets you to comply with these EU standards with regards to now sector-specific and non-EU standards. I know that we've talked about this before, but can you catch us up on what's happened since we last talked about this?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Julie, and, and even though I agree with you, even though we've already talked about it, I think it's an important point to bring up because I I still have clients coming to me and asking me about this. So the chatter that we've been hearing recently is that the European Parliament has approved a deferral by two years, the CSRD deadline for the European Commission to adopt two things. The first is those sector specific standards, and the second is those reduced non-EU standards. So what this effectively does is it defers the adoption deadline from June of 2024 to June of 2026, all right? So essentially what that that really means is that it gives the European Commission and EFRAG, right? EFRAG is the one drafting these standards. It gives them two more years to finalize their sector-specific and reduced non-EU standards. Now, the most important thing here that it is not changing the effective dates of the CSRD. So even though the European Parliament has approved a deferral of those adoption dates, it has not done anything to the effective dates of the CSRD. So reporting will start as early as 2025 over that 2024 data and reporting will also start in 2029 for non-EU parents that meet the CSRD scoping criteria uh, for ultimate non-EU parents. So on the last podcast, I think one of our key messages was for U.S. companies to keep doing what they're doing uh, and, and to kind of uh, see through this noise. And that's the message here again, is to see through this noise, keep doing what you're doing.
0: Thanks, Bryce. And if I have to take away uh, for U.S. companies a key I think for me, a takeaway from what you've been saying is to definitely look out for the FRAG implementation guidance that may assist companies, but continue on your journey anyway.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Yep.
0: And so now we leave the CSRD and the the ESRSs, but I know there's a lot of other stuff happening in the EU that's relevant to US companies. So what are other another couple of things that that we should be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, and honestly, there's probably not enough time on this podcast to talk about it all, but a couple of things uh, that that I think are pretty relevant right now. Uh, the first is diving into the EU taxonomy, and admittedly, we haven't really talked about this before in this podcast, and I'm, I'm not going to go into detail on it, um, but it is an important dimension of CSRD reporting. And it's important that U.S. companies don't lose sight of the EU taxonomy when they're working through their CSRD implementation, their double materiality assessment, et cetera. Now, what's happened is that most recently in December, the European Commission published uh, draft FAQs, frequently asked questions to support financial institutions in their EU taxonomy journey. And, And those FAQs are intended to provide interpretive, and implementation guidance essentially. Now, what I what I also want to say is there's already a suite of other sets of guidance that the European Commission has published on the EU taxonomy. However, those are really focused on assisting non-financial companies in that implementation. So one thing that's important here is that this is kind of like the first real set of guidance we have for financial institutions like banks. And why I'm bringing it up is because in the U.S., a lot of the uh, U.S. companies that are going to go first in having to comply with the CSRD are are banks with listed securities in the EU. So it's something for our our banking friends, insurance friends to just be aware of, read through it and, and digest. The other thing to be on the lookout for, uh, I'm going to go back to the CSRD really quick, but in a recent webcast at the end of 2023, we received a little bit of news that the European Commission is actually expecting to publish some Q&As associated with like common interpretive questions around the CSRD. Um, We're expecting that in early 2024. So the sooner the better with that. I think this is a huge area of interest for US companies, right? Working through CSRD scoping is not easy to say the least. Um, so any sort of guidance we can get from the European Commission on that will be will be welcomed, I think.
0: And I think, Bryce, I would just add for our listeners: um, if anyone is listening to this and thinking this seems like a kind of a crazy eclectic mix of different things, kind of what's going on, just a reminder: this is all part of the EU Green Deal. So this all fits together under that umbrella. So that was the eu thank you bryce anita it seems now relatively simple to ask about the sec and what's happening there so what is the latest on the climate rule kind of what's going on
1: yeah sure julie i I think it's uh exciting in a sense that the topic is coming back into the spotlight again Namely, because the SEC published their Fall 2023 regulatory agenda back in early December, and in there they've signaled a final climate rule to be expected for April of 2024, along with a few other ESG-related rulemaking activities. For example, like the human capital proposal as well. With that said, based on you know if history is a telling story, we know that these are not hard deadlines. We are hearing, though, more rumors that the spring timeframe, so in the next two to three months, is a bit more realistic and likely for the final climate rule to be released. So we're certainly monitoring the chatter in the marketplace and watching keenly for a meeting notice to officially be scheduled by the commission for an open commission meeting to vote on the rule. While we wait for that, I think certainly many people are keenly awaiting also to see how interoperability might come into play in their final rule uh, as it relates to both California as well as all the fantastic EU updates that Bryce just took us through. So if you had to take
0: your crystal ball and based on everything you've heard from speeches, commentary, what what do you expect to be really different from the proposal, your kind of top picks?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, potentially a foggy or broken crystal ball. But uh, with the best of my kind of inf- insights into public speeches, analysis, and just my personal thinking, scope three is an interesting one. There continues to be mixed messaging in the marketplace about whether in the final rule will be in or out, right? Certainly there are pressures as it relates to the point earlier about interoperability because other regulators are including it, whether the SEC would include it or not. Um, The other one that I think is pretty apparent is the financial statement disclosure threshold. I think from the get-go that has received a significant amount of feedback from the preparers community in particular. So I do think that 1% disclosure threshold is going to be revised come final time. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, another topic that's potentially worth watching is the interoperability. And I think It's interesting to see what they do with that because an important element of the final rule is going to be how the commission addresses all the, I would say, kind of polarized commenters feedback through the comment letters, as well as how they incorporate all of that into their updated economic analysis. It is a critical part of the final rule, um, especially, you know, in a sense, many are expecting a lawsuit to follow the final rule as well so they will have to be very robust in detail in terms of how they analyze the cost benefit as it relates to the rule in particular in relations to other regulations that are in place potentially in place and how that impact ultimately um, the u.s capital markets so more to come for sure
0: thanks anita for that sec update Before we leave all of you, I'd like to bring one more organization into the conversation, and that's the Global Reporting Initiative or the GRI. They are important, and I think it's time that we introduce them because they're getting more traction in the marketplace in terms of the role they could play in the future of sustainability reporting. We know that for US companies, and any other company outside the EU that has to comply with ESRSs, we know that that's a pretty heavy, a pretty complicated lift to comply with the range of standards, all sustainability matters, and based on double materiality. So the question is, is there perhaps the potential for companies outside the EU to perhaps comply with ISSB standards, So the standards of the International Sustainability Standards Board, which are based on an investor lens or financial materiality, to comply with those standards, plus the GRI standards, which are based on impact materiality. So looking at the impacts on the economy, on the environment, on people, and together, Is it possible that that could be deemed to be equivalent to complying with ESRSs instead of having to exactly comply with the ESRSs? Now, that is a final determination that would be made by the European Commission, but it's certainly a really intriguing thought about the potential role they could play. Now, at the moment, the GRI has got out for public comment two exposure drafts on climate change and energy. And it is this really that's got everybody talking about, well, if we look at what they are proposing, is there maybe a different route they could maybe go in terms of working directly um, or more directly on standard setting projects with the ISSB and EFRAG setting the EU standards. So I would say, watch this space. We I think we're definitely gonna come back to the GRI discussion on future podcasts. That's all for today. Thank you, Bryce. Thank you, Anita. And we'll be back with you soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth ESG-related financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, type into your browser visit.kpmg.us forward slash
1: ESG reporting and be sure to subscribe today.